At one point, Lucius right. says, where in the Bible does it say not to kill people? It's like, <laughs> several times, I think. Hello again. Welcome. It's another episode of No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. And we're back. We're back as we are every Monday with another script for you. This Monday, we are talking about a play by Stephen Adley Girgis. We are not talking about the play you might think we're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. One of his plays recently won a Pulitzer, like in the past five years. Uh, that play is Between Riverside and Crazy. We are not talking about that one today. I'm sure we will, but that's not yeah. the subject of today's conversation. Today, we are talking about a play called Jesus High. The A Train. Yeah, this is a brand new play for me, actually. I, I think I may have read a scene from it before uh, back in college or something like that, but uh, this is the first time I've read it all the way through, certainly. So it, it was a good read. Yeah, I have this play as part of an anthology, a trilogy of plays by him, and read it a long time ago and loved it. And so as we were doing our programming for the fall, I was like, I really want to talk about this play. It's so yeah. fun and so funny and obviously disturbing in other ways, but funny in many <laughs> ways. So it's, it's a nice dark comedy. Um mm. Mm-hmm. Jesus Hopped the A-Train. This was originally produced in New York. It was produced off-Broadway at the East 13th Street Theater, but produced by the Labyrinth Theater. And interestingly, that original production was directed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Apparently, Stephen Adley Girgis and Philip Seymour Hoffman, those tr- those three name guys, uh, right. they, they had some sort of great friendship and relationship. There's some cool interviews with uh, uh, Stephen Adley Girgis. I think that came out in the wake of Philip Seymour Hoffman's death about the kind of person he was and their friendship, which I think is really interesting. That, that's kind of the whole backstory of the play. Um, yeah. Stephen Adley Girgis, <laughs> he did a residency with, I believe, the Signature Theater Company in 2017, and so they redid the play. So if you see pictures online or something of a production, it's probably from that 2017 production, which I've heard was just astounding. And I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't get to see it. It just looked incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to synopsize the play for you just a little bit at the start here, as we always do. However, you'll get much more out of this conversation if you have read the play, so we highly encourage you to do so. However, this uh, play centers around uh, three characters, I think, is probably the way I'll I'll, I'll introduce it anyway. Um, You have uh, Angel Cruz, who is uh, an inmate in prison. You have uh, Valdez, who is a guard. Uh, uh, Mary Jane Hanrahan. Um, who is Angel Cruz's lawyer, and uh, Charlie D'Amico, who is uh, a guard and and a civilian at another point, and then Lucius Jenkins, and primarily focuses around Angel and Lucius, as we're going to be calling them uh, throughout throughout our conversation. Right, and, uh, the, the kind of striking image of the play, which you may have seen online, especially if you're a pretty big theater buff and you follow stuff like that, the big striking images is of, of the, those two men, Angel and Lucius, in their respective cages, essentially. Right. And they play whole scenes, a large chunk of the play, both in their own cage, one on one side of the uh, the stage, the other one on the other side. Yeah, they're they're in they're both in prison, but they're in the section of prison that's like protecting them, not not protecting the other inmates from them, but rather them from the other inmates. So they have at at by about halfway through the play, they are both in this other area of the prison and uh 
and are get to have these kind of fun conversations and and dark conversations back and forth between it. It kind of the play just kind of centers around Angel Cruz's attempts to uh, get out of prison, uh, not break out of prison, just uh, his talks with his lawyer Mary Jane Hanrahan and uh, and uh, her attempts to get him out as well um, for for a uh, crime of shooting someone in the butt. Uh, <laughs> And, and as as you can imagine, especially if you know Stephen Adler Girgis, but even if you don't, you can imagine that the word "but" is yeah. not what is used in the play. And this is probably right. a good moment to say the play has a lot of really, really foul language, a as lot. does yeah. pretty much all of Stephen Adler Girgis's plays across the board. They almost all are filled with a, a lot of pretty foul language. And if that is something that really offends you, you probably shouldn't read the play at this point. Right. You may have already have, and in, in which case, you know, <laughs> you're there. Um, but you yep. probably shouldn't listen to this conversation either. I'm going to guess that we will probably be forced at times to use that language just <laughs> yes. to be fair to the characters and, and the mm-hmm. world of the play too. And, it, you know, that that's not something that especially bothers me, but it might bother you. So please, if listening to us say swear words back and forth as we talk <laughs> is going to really disturb you, you should not listen to this conversation. And any yeah. subsequent conversations we have about Stephen Adley Gerges' plays, <laughs> you probably just want to skip those entirely. <laughs> just get it'll be It'll those. be a routine problem when we come back <laughs> to his work. <laughs> yep. <laughs> or at least put your headphones in if that's if, if yeah, you're at definitely, work or something yeah. like that. <laughs> this is going to be probably a not safe for work conversation. Yep. Uh, not just because of the language, but also because of the content. So in our in our pre-episode stuff about what plays we're doing so that people can read them, we will put our regular language and content warnings. So that's already happened in the past for you. Yep. Um, but we're we're really saying it to each other. Hey, remember <laughs> we got to hey. put those in there. We're gonna we're gonna go do that now okay <laughs> um the other kind of storyline that flows along with this is lucius jenkins and uh he's uh on on a wait list basically to get transported down to florida where he will get the death penalty uh his sentencing is for that so he's kind of waiting it, around. rather than a wait list i think it's actually like a trial he's fighting the extradition and and then at the end of the play, ultimately loses and goes to Florida. But I'm mm-hmm. not sure he's just waiting. I think that we don't see it, but I think he is actively involved in court battles over it. I believe. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And but ulti- ultimately, that that story is flowing along at pace, and we'll we'll get around to where that that culminates by the end of the play. But those are kind of the two big ones, and then the three other characters. There's two guards, and then Mary Jane Hanrahan as well has a a, a through line of her story as she is trying to get Angel. Out of uh, out of basically his whole life in prison for for a, for this uh, crime he committed. And what you want to go into some more detail, Jackson, about the actual crime that Angel committed? That will be very important. Maybe just give us sure. like what he did and why he said he did it. Yeah. So um, so Angel shot a preacher. Uh, he went to church and went went to this church where uh, he was preaching and got, walked in with a gun and shot him in the ass. He uh, 
<laughs> and and at he, that point, he loves to say that. Hey, man, yep. I only shot him in the ass. Come yep. on. <laughs> I wasn't trying to kill the guy. I just shot him in the ass. Right, exactly. And and, and just for so those that, of you keeping track at home, that's three asses already. <laughs> now four. <laughs> now four. It's, so just, it's get, just the first five minutes. We're not, right. And that's probably that probably keeps pace, even probably way behind pace for the play. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. The first two pages of the play alone is just like, yeah. Um, uh, but but uh, so he's caught. the The preacher is taken to uh, the hospital. He's operated on, and then he winds up uh, further along the way, uh, dying of complications with the surgery. So he's brought back in. They do uh, another surgery on him, and he dies. So that amplifies his case. The reason why he did it, he says, is because his friend, his close friend, whose name is Joey, um, was kind of uh, tricked by this guy. He's kind of, uh, you get the impression that he's maybe a cultish preacher. Yeah, I think he's Um, the, I mean, he's, he would say that he's like a Christian maybe, but he's really the leader of like a cult and he claims to be the son of God. And Angel says that this preacher, Reverend... Kim, Reverend Kim. That's right, yeah. So so Reverend Kim, he's a cult leader. He claims to be the son of God. And Angel says that Reverend Kim, like, brainwashes people or kidnaps yeah. them. He sort of, like, takes them into this cult family and they disappear and, and never come out. And so Angel says that he kidnapped Joey out of the cult and even hired, like, a deprogrammer. <laughs> right. Like, somebody who, like, undoes brainwashing yeah, to try yep. to save Joey from this guy, but it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> so that's his impetus for, uh, for, for shooting Reverend Kim is kind of this uh, breakout slash revenge for stealing his friend and brainwashing him. <laughs> Right, and so, so that's the the sort of one of the two inmates, which is a sort of complicated, weird story in itself. And then yeah. you have this other inmate, Lucius, who also has this crazy story about yeah. how he used to live in Florida. The play takes place in New York, but he used to live in Florida, and he hated the sun. And this hatred mm-hmm. for the sun, he says, is not just like a, I don't really like it when it's sunny out, but like a deep-rooted disgust, he says, like Dracula-level hate for the sun. <laughs> and this hatred for the sun, he claims, leads him on a murder spree. And yeah. he kills and cuts up eight people. Mm-hmm. And if that sounds like a serial killer psychopath to you, you'd be right. You're very right. But you would not know it. From, like, if you hadn't heard that part of his story, you would have never guessed it before he admits it in the world of the play. I got to think that he, like, accidentally robbed a convenience store or something, (laughs) and it's all one big mistake, you know? He's just the most charming, friendly, kind, and claims to be a very, very religious person. And Mm -hmm. this all, it all combobulates in this sort of weird character, but... You can see sort of the disparity in the difference between the two men's crimes. Angel, just sort of revenge for stealing and brainwashing his friend, shoots without the intent to kill, although that's kind of a question, but let's say for now, shoots without the intent to kill Reverend Kim. And just because the Reverend Kim is a reverend, it becomes this national-wide case, and Angel is, you know, 
guilty in the public eye before any trial has happened and has all this stuff come down on him. And then because the doctors make a mistake during a routine surgery just to remove a bullet from like one of the most fleshy parts of the human (laughs) body, the reverend dies. Now he's a murderer. Whereas Lucius knowledgeably as a psychopath probably has some pretty severe stuff going on, kills eight people. And Mm -hmm. is in prison awaiting death row. So there's a disparity there between what the two men did. And that disparity becomes part of the tension of their conversations as one of the things that Lucius does is try to paint them as the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and specifically with – he kind of is is trying to convert – uh, angel throughout the play to he's he's a uh, he knows a lot of scripture he's a uh, he he says he's a very religious person uh, while while he's out out working out in in his uh, uh, let's let's set this real quick I'm gonna derail myself but so they're outside in cages during m- much of the play takes place in the hour a day that these uh, inmates have outside. Uh, and, and because it's a high security prison, they are locked in a cage outside and uh, the, have a guard right next to them the whole time. So much of, much of the play takes place in that setting. He's outside, he's working out, he's reciting scripture, he's praying. And, uh, and eventually Angel joins him there and he begins trying to convince him that he needs forgiveness from God as, as, as much as he does. Um, and that's where the disparity comes in because Angel starts to kind of call him on it a little bit and saying, how, how is what I did worse than what you, how do you think that you're okay? (laughs) You killed eight people (laughs) and horribly, and you don't feel any regret for it. And yet you've kind of punched your God insurance and you're trying to tell me that I need that. That's the the most ridiculous of the things. Right. Plus he's at one point during this, this, this comes in a later conversation kind of their last climactic conversation. Angel calls him on the fact that it, you know, it's uber convenient that you found God and found forgiveness after you killed eight people. That you got to right. just do all these terrible things, and now yeah. you found God and punched your ticket, and now you're fine, and you're just gonna go to heaven, and God's <laughs> cool with you, and you didn't do anything really wrong now because it's all sort of wiped away. And and of course, in in religion and theology, that there is some question around that kind of thing about mm-hmm. well, you know what what happens to the real world impacts of those things that you did. And Lucius, to his credit, is willing to do his time for what he did. He yeah. he say he admits that he should be in prison and when the New York state decides to extradite him to Florida, which is a death penalty state, he doesn't appeal his case. He says, "Look, right. this is the will of God. I'm being aptly punished for what I did." Mhm. And and he like he seems to be at peace with that. He doesn't seem to be happy about it necessarily, but he's at peace with it. I think what irks him is that Angel won't admit to the fault and to be deserving of the punishment. He won't own the punishment uh, that that he earned by way of committing his crime. And or that, that seems Lucius to be where the sort rub of thinks is. that he earned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that seems to be where much of the rub of their conflict is around. Is is he wants. Angel to to just admit that he's wrong, and I don't know. I, 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 that very well could connect to more things that he wants as well. But much of the content of their argument is is around that subject matter, 
Right, and the play has just a lot of humor in it, but this is sort of one of the more serious points of the play where Lucius's point is, look, you got to get right with God, you got to get on the right track, and that means admitting what you've done and paying the consequences, even though Angel has within his within his reach the chance to be out of prison and have the mm-hmm. the the crime wiped from his record forever because he has a pretty darn good public defender who despite yeah. the mountain of evidence against him is able <laughs> basically to successfully navigate through this trial to the point where all angel has to do is be appear on the stand say he didn't do it get off the stand and he should be good to go the yeah. the lawyer describes how she thinks that the jury really wants to let Angel go because they empathize with what he did. They they don't care that it's clear that he did it. They're more interested in the fact that he's a sympathetic person. And as long as he says he didn't do it, they'll probably let him go regardless. Mm-hmm. I think Mary Jane is that Mary Jane is the lawyer, Angel's lawyer. I think she is the other of the three kind of big storylines that push this question through of of if you do something for good reasons or for bad reasons, can you be absolved? Should you be absolved? And she's the other kind of facet of that because she finds out quite early something a lawyer shouldn't find out, which is that Angel knows he's guilty. And he's he just tells her, yeah, I did it. And she's like, you can't tell me that. I can't I can't defend you now. <laughs> um, so uh, she has to decide quite early on whether or not she's going to help Angel try to get out of jail for something that she decides quite early on is ultimately an okay thing. <laughs> like she says, right. she's very much the other end of the pendulum from Lucius. Not only yeah. does she think that she can get Angel acquitted regardless of whether it's right or not, but she has quite a good monologue where she describes how, you know, sometimes in life, there are people that deserve to get shot in the ass. <laughs> right. Or stabbed with a fork like her father. Right. Did. That that she, I mean, it's sort of like a defense of vigilanteism that yeah. there there are some times when it's not ridiculous to take matters into your own hands. And what <laughs> the way that she describes it is more humorous than that. I'm probably making too serious of her point. Um but that's sort of her logic going forward that she can get Angel out of this because all he was really trying to do was save his friend. And, right. And that that might have been a noble pursuit regardless of the fact that he shot and maybe, you know, not not intending to, but ultimately <laughs> did kill the Reverend right. Kim. Yeah. And, and let me say, too, the Mary Jane is just a stellar part for women. I mean... What an awesome part to play. That's the part I want to play in this play. <laughs> I obviously never will, but I love her character and that whole part. I think it's just a, an awesome, strong, powerful part that really has a lot of meat to it. As we know, mm-hmm. one of the faults of the theater is that there's not always a lot of great part for women, especially you know in plays written by men. And this happens to be a situation where Stephen Adley Gerges has really written a spectacular character. Um, I, I think the firecracker character of the play and just an awesome part. Certainly structure wise, it is interesting to kind of note the differences between uh, uh, Angel and Lucius and then Mary Jane because uh, Angel and Lucius, they have a lot of back and forth. Uh, She gets a lot more soliloquies though. And I agree there is so much more ability to kind of dig into this character because she has big monologues throughout that she, uh, 
great acting monologues that cover you know a variety of of beats within and a lot of lo- would be a lot of fun to try to to mess with and, um, and really great scenes too her scenes with yeah. angel are not just you know some damsel in distress getting oh how oh, yeah, romantic no. and cute this boy I man is you know she is she is the character of the scene she is yeah. the powerhouse character in the scenes with angel and it's it's just awesome i love that character i love partially just because i've always had kind of an an affinity and an interest in law and lawyers have considered going mm-hmm. to law school several yeah, times. Yep. I'm just so interested partially because I love to debate and I love to argue. <laughs> and so that, I mean, just the way that she argues and, and beats down Angel scene after scene, I think is so great. And the description of the courtroom scenes as well, she has these, you know, she talks about how she basically rips the defense, uh, or not the defense, the prosecutor's witnesses apart as they come up and discredits them, and the description of the scenes as it goes through, and then kind of the the hopelessness as ultimately it goes awry is is just a great kind of rhythm to try to, to, try to play with. It'd be really cool to see live, and I'm sure a lot of fun to play. Yeah, and so let's go back to this comparison and, con- you know, this this look at Mary Jane versus Lucius because they both have similar structural interactions with Angel, right? They're in places where the isolation is pretty strong, despite the fact that there is a guard in the scenes with Angel and Lucius. For the vast majority of their scenes, the guard isn't all that important. It's between these two men. And the scenes are largely Lucius trying to convince Angel of something through a variety of tactics and Angel being unsure what to think. And then the scenes with Mary Jane are really the same. They're fairly mm-hmm. isolated. They're in a, you know, a, a private meeting room between a lawyer and her client. And the same sort of thing. Mary Jane is trying to convince Angel of what to do about this the same issue. You should come to the other side of this issue. And, and you sort of watch Angel decide if he's going to be persuaded by her or not. It's sort of like... They're almost like the two characters on the shoulders, you know, like the devil and the angel. They sort of have that sense. Like they're very opposed in everything. First of all, Lucius is really religious. Mary Jane is really not religious. Lucius thinks that Angel should pay the consequences and stay in jail. Mary Jane thinks Angel should uh, get out of jail because what he did was right. And so mm-hmm. there is this sense of like two opposing forces living and battling for what's going to happen to Angel. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't think about that before, but that's really true because, I mean, Lucius especially has – it's a little bit crazy what he's suggesting. <laughs> like to just stay in jail – and and Angel is the 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 other kind of synopsis is that Angel is having a real bad time in jail. Um, he's not cut out for that environment. He ticks off too many people inside. There's a reason why he's put into this other section so the in, other inmates can't get to him. He's, he's and not, notably that's one of the reasons Mary Jane decides that she's going to get him out, really yeah. regardless of whether he did it or not. She knows he did it, but she has a monologue where she describes the reasons why she's going to do it. Among them are the fact that she's not sure what Angel did was wrong, but also the fact that Angel is getting the crap beat out of him in prison. And yeah. she describes how between the two days that she saw him, he was beaten up and raped by other inmates in general mm-hmm. population. So moving him to this isolation ward, this protective ward, certainly will help that problem, but he has his own issues in there. The, yeah. the mental struggle of isolation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mental struggle of isolation, but also he's in there with Lucius, right. who is convincing him to stay in jail. <laughs> and 
And uh, so, so, and she absolutely counteracts that. And she, interestingly, is the character around which the title of the play rotates. We always like to try to draw attention to where the title is. I think that means something for the playwright where they put it and uh, where they put the title of their play within the dialogue. And it's in a scene of hers where. Uh, um, uh, Angel is talking about a story of him and Joey growing up and he's talking about them kind of going down into the subway and playing down there and having to run out of the way of the train in time and he tells a story of this one time when the train got a little too close and they kind of froze there and waited a second too long and then somehow they were thrown out of the way by a gust of wind or something like that and upon returning his friend Joey said he thinks he thought Jesus hopped the A train and that in the light he uh, he jumped in the way and pushed them out of the way. And Mary Jane says, I'm Jesus in this situation. Yeah. You gotta. <laughs> if you're on the A train, I'm Jesus, and I'm yeah. the one saving you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, that language or that discussion about religion happens with another character as well. Both Mary Jane and Valdez, the prison guard, <laughs> claim yeah. to be agents or or representatives of religion, sort of in lieu of religion. Uh, yep. Lucius at one point says, I'm a God-fearing man. And Valdez says, I don't want you to be a God-fearing man. I want you to be a Valdez-fearing man. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Valdez for a second, because he's a He's a basket case in this play. He's Whoa, like, oh yeah. <laughs> Imagine you know, like that prison warden from Shawshank Redemption. Uh, that he's like, he's come home again, back yeah. in prison, <laughs> serving as a regular guard. Yep, that's basically the character. Just the worst prison guard you can imagine regularly threatens to beat the angel and Lucius regularly yep. wants to control what they're talking about mm-hmm. is really against in like any infractions at one point Lucius says like if if breathing is an infraction Valdez you tell us now so we can asphyxiate ourselves <laughs> yeah he's got he's got the like the stereotypical monologue of like <laughs> I I was a garbage man before this and I'm still doing that and uh, just like talking about uh, uh, how he would slap people for throwing away things before and uh, he's he's got quite the introduction into the scene. He comes in to uh, a situation where Lucius is kind of having a, he has a good relationship with his current prison guard. Yeah, that's who the is, other guard, Charlie. And yep. He's the guard at the start of the play of this 23-hour intensive protection unit. Right, and Valdez comes in and kind of kicks him out, basically set, tells him he's fired, and uh, takes over and begins to set about his order into the way of things, and it's just kind of a... And, and why does Lucius say that Valdez is there? The, he has a conversation with Angel where Lucius basically claims that Valdez is there for fun. Yeah, he says, he gets "Look, his this is a guy that doesn't have to be a prison. He doesn't." You know, he, Lucius is saying to Angel, "Like Angel's expressing, I'm really worried about <laughs> yeah. Valdez. He like starting to beat the crap out of me. What should we do about him?" And Lucius yeah. says, "Don't worry about him. He's crazy. Look, we yeah. have to be in here. He doesn't have to be in here. <laughs> he I know he's single. He doesn't have a family to support. He <laughs> wants to be here. He gets pleasure from inflicting this torture on inmates. So he's a yeah. he's a psychopath." Don't even look at me. That mm. guy's insane. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, he calls him a test of faith. 
Yes, there you and go. He's sort of uh, <laughs> evangelical preacher, Baptist, you know, really right. out there. He's he's a he's a really specific kind of Christian. The sort of really loud, uh, everything's about God fearing. He Lucius has just this hilarious monologue, <laughs> which is his workout routine and daily prayer time, like yeah. together. And it's all of this, it's all of this like Christian imagery and workout stuff all together. Like at one point right. he does like jumping jacks while saying the Old Testament Bible books backwards, <laughs> stuff yep. like that. It's, it's hilarious. Yep. Or I'm going to drop and give you 20 Lord. And <laughs> yeah. So Lucius sees everything as this sort of conflict between God and evil. And Valdez is one of the forces of evil trying to drag him away from God's light, I guess. Which isn't that hard, like, isn't that unreasonable of a distinction, given that he pretty much, he just says that I serve the devil. Like, he <laughs> mostly, does say that. <laughs> mostly I, I in, like, Lucius, a like, right away in their first encounter, as soon as Valdez takes over, Lucius is like, uh, do, you, do you worship God, Valdez? And Valdez just says, I worship the devil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, of course you do. Uh, <laughs> and he kind of serves, I, I, he probably has some other um, uh, structural uh, uses within this play, but his primary one is a timer. Um, he he controls the time of the scenes. There, There's three or four different scenes in these cages and Valdez is there most times. Um, he is, he is there kind of giving a count, a literal countdown. He's telling them how long they have left outside before he comes in and takes them back to their cell. So, and that's a good time. I think Jackson to talk about this part of the play, because we, we've mentioned that so much of the play is in this one hour of prison yard sunshine. And I wonder, Jackson, what do you think about the metaphor or the imagery of that, that so much of the play exists in this limited time of bliss or, you know, light obviously has a lot of imagery associated with it being outdoors, Mm -hmm. the sense of being free, even though they're still in cages. I mean, there's just so much imagery wrapped up in that setting of scenes. Yeah. Yeah, and and that kind of time is the time when you can expound a little bit, and and uh, Lucius uh, before before Valdez really kind of cracks down says that this is the time that he will die over pretty much. He if if they take this time away from him, he'll he'll kill him, um, <laughs> and uh, and and I, I think that is interesting that that this is the time when clarity comes, and in more and more than one occasion that that's when it happens. Uh, especially in the the last time of it. It also, I think, has to do with a line that Valdez says, actually, which is that we're kind of, uh, I'm going to look it up because I want to get it right, but he's talking about the misconceptions of people that they they think that they're gathering things through life um, the whole time. Uh, and yeah, he says, it's Valdez's initial monologue, and he, he's yeah. doing a monologue about sort of, I guess, why he became a prison guard, although he, we don't learn that he's a prison guard till later, I don't think. But the monologue is about how he used to be a garbage sanitation man, and he would you know, collect people's stuff on the curb and how angry he would get about the stuff that people are throwing out, perfectly good working things, TVs, sofas, and about how it was, you know, at one point he says he slapped a guy because he threw out a perfectly good working TV instead of giving it away where it could still serve some use. And the conclusion of that monologue is... 
Yeah, he says, so people go through life discarding things, or I'm sorry, people believe they go through life accumulating things. That is incorrect. People go through life discarding things, tangible and intangible, replaceable and priceless. What people do not understand is that once they have discarded an irreplaceable item, it is lost forever. And we go on that journey with Lucius and Angel and and this question of whether or not Angel should try to get out of here or stay in here, I think is wrapped up in that question of something irreplaceable one way or the other, something irreplaceable is being discarded. I think Lucius thinks that it's his, uh, his, let's say honor for now, or his, his moral compass or his moral rightness will be discarded if he leaves. However, Mary Jane kind of leans him towards your freedom <laughs> will be lost forever. I think you said Lucius, but you're talking about angel. His, his, his like desire to, to be a good person will be lost if he go, goes away from jail. Not Lucius. You're talking well, about Lucius, angel. Lucius is the, the angel on his soldier, so, shoulder saying that is what I'm saying. Oh, right. Talking, yes. In, in the okay. dichotomy. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, Lucius is kind of pushing him to to identify with that, and that is the thing that you will that you shouldn't throw away. Whereas Mary Jane is focusing him on your freedom is something you shouldn't throw away. Right, that's a really interesting way to frame that debate. That both are trying to explain to him what the irreplaceable thing he shouldn't discard is, and all of these characters sort of have that that structure happened to them where throughout the course of the play, they lose something irreplaceable. Lucius loses his hour of sunlight. Mm -hmm. And if you are really paying attention, you remember me saying that Lucius hates the sunlight so much that he killed eight people. You are right. I did say that. (laughs) And since coming to prison, he's decided that he loves the sunlight (laughs) so much that he'll kill people (laughs) over taking it away. So he's not the most stable individual. But yeah. but his hour of sunlight is something he describes so is so important in his life. You got to take your hour, man. Even if you don't want to, take your hour. Even if you feel too low for it, take your hour. Fellas who don't take their hour every day, they go crazy and end up killing themselves. You know stuff like that. He says all the time. And I think one of the things about moving to Florida. I don't know, maybe that concerns him is losing that routine potentially of the hour of sunlight. Mary Jane, Mm. for her, I'm not sure she even recognizes this. She recognizes that it's a risk over the course of the play that if she puts Angel on the stand and he lies and she knows it and doesn't tell anyone that she could lose, she could be debarred. And she she knows that that's a risk because if you remember, Angel confesses to her in the first scene that he did it, which apparently you're not supposed to do with your lawyer. That's not something I knew. Neither that is an I. interesting <laughs> tidbit of information. Um, yeah. But anyway, so she knows that that's a risk, but that doesn't seem to like equate with like it doesn't seem to have much weight with her until she has a monologue near the end of the play when she describes what happens with the trial and she says something almost almost word for word that was like, uh, you know, I, I didn't realize what I had until it was gone. I used to right. hate my job, and now that I don't have my job, I realized that it was everything to me. I, I miss the work. I miss that part of my life. And that's mm-hmm. like, that's almost the perfect example of what Valdez describes people doing happening to someone. Mary Jane yeah. discards, risks, and loses her entire career for what? Yeah, I mean, for, for like a, an inmate that she didn't really know, she met right. on one occasion who swore at her a bunch and told her he didn't want her as his lawyer, and mm-hmm. she left and then like had a crisis of 
I don't yeah. know. I, yeah. I, why she did it, it remains kind of a mystery. Right. A moment of too much heroism. Um. Or, or too much arrogance. She's a pretty yeah. arrogant character in, in terms of confidence in her own ability as a lawyer. So I do mm-hmm. wonder, too, if there's some like competitiveness to her. And she has this case that is clearly unwinnable. And one of the reasons she takes it is just to win it. Right. Pretty much. She, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's very possibly what, what, what it is. And interestingly, I think, I think everyone but Valdez and, and I'd be happy to be wrong about that because I, I want it to work all the way through, but I think everyone but Valdez goes through this. Even, uh, uh, Charlie, D- uh, Diamicchio, oof. The other guard. We're just going <laughs> to call him guard. Charlie. <laughs> yeah, we're going to call him Charlie from now on. Um, Charlie even goes to it as well. And he's kind of a weird character. Why do you think Charlie is a character in this play? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think if 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 he just – so Charlie has two scenes. Uh, yeah. The first scene is the scene where he and Lucius are in the prison yard. He's, Lucius is getting his hour of sunlight. And they're basically talking about all the things that Charlie does for Lucius. He's clearly right. violating some rules. He provides him all kinds of stuff, cigarettes, Oreos. His wife baked him a pie. They're clearly, clearly really invested in him, which we learn later – Part of the reason why is that Lucius, potentially because of his, you know, sort of faith and evangelism, helps Charlie stop drinking. And so mm-hmm. there's maybe some feeling like he owes him. I'm not sure. They're they're fairly close, and uh, Charlie is violating all these rules to provide Lucius with a pretty luxurious life, including, we know, giving him extra time in the yard, which knowing how much Lucius values that sun time is really important. So that's the scene into which Valdez walks and says, you're fired, you've been breaking the rules, I'm in charge now, no more infractions, if you don't like it, here's my fist. And so if that were the only scene of Charlie, I would say he just exists to put Lucius into a situation where everything changes on him. But he has this later scene where this this play is sort of an interspersing of scenes and monologues. As, as a lot of Stephen Adley Gerges' plays function, um, and he's a genius monologue writer. And the Charlie has a monologue later in the play where what happens? Well, yeah, he goes and sees Lucius's uh, sentencing of his death penalty. So uh, he goes down to Florida. He and his wife travel down there, and he shows up in the you know the viewing booth for that and makes eye contact with him and doesn't receive a response from him at all. And um, he's he and his wife are in the room and they 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 watch him die. And he he says that you know it it didn't. He he was expecting more, and he's and he's ashamed of that. He was like, he was like this this he 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 says how awful is it that the first thought through my head was this cost us you know a thousand dollars to get down here, and he couldn't even acknowledge me for it. And and then then he goes on to like describe how he and his wife. You know, they were staying in a hotel because they were down in Florida and they went and like rekindled their marriage. Right. As a, as a result, result of, this. of seeing him executed. Right. It's a weird, it's a I, weird I, it's, a, it's an odd moment of the play and somewhat, it would be somewhat disturbing if Charlie weren't so, uh, I'm going to say pathetic. And I hope that you know that I don't mean <laughs> like, oh, he's pathetic. But I mean like in, in the in the theatrical, uh, uh, literary, literary sense of the word, which just means that you can empathize with him. He's a really right. pathetic character. He he's He's so kind. 
kind. He's so willing to help. He, we learn later, you know, he's he recovered from drinking as a result of this guy. And he seems so genuinely surprised and amazed that this relationship with his wife managed to rekindle after everything that happened, that mm-hmm. that scene actually has some emotional weight. And uh, it's yeah. sort of like, oh, something happy happened in the midst right. of something all this terribleness. <laughs> but yeah. it is weird to think about why why include that? Let's let's try to answer it by way of the question we were asking before. Does Charlie lose something irreplaceable over the course of the play? Mm-hmm. I mean, he loses Lucius, right? Lucius dies. Yep. But he didn't really discard Lucius. So that, mm-hmm. that metaphor doesn't quite work. Yep. I mean, he loses his job, but even in that monologue, he says that that's ultimately for the better. He started a pool cleaning business with his brother. Um... I think, I mean, yeah, it, 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 I think it maybe comes down to losing Lucius, but even that is kind of tenuous. Um, right. And, and like I said, it's not like he chose to lose Lucius. Right. Whereas the metaphor is sort of about how people choose to discard things and then later realize that those things were so important to them. And I'm not sure that Charlie really has something that fits in that category and maybe he exists partly as the exception to the rule because you're right i think that what you said was right on he loses his job and he basically discards that right because if he hadn't been breaking the rules he wouldn't have lost his job he's he's sort of casual and frivolous with his job really sort of the same way that mary jane is they they know the risks of breaking the rules and choose to do it anyway and charlie maybe exists as a way to say you know ultimately that's not bad all the time that Mm -hmm. you know these things happen and sometimes they're for the better. Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, that that's a good point because we don't actually see the result of Angel making that choice. Of We, we don't get really to see the ramifications of his choice. We see the ramifications of Lucius's choice, which is that he dies with his principles. Um, well, but, um, <laughs> but he dies high, so I don't know yeah. how many. I, I, I think that I, I'd be interested in coming back to talk about Lucius here in just a minute, so help me remember to do that. But yeah, to return to this question of of Charlie too, he and and we we see Mary Jane. We get the consequences of her actions too. As a result, she we see her describe how she lost her job and how devastating that was for her. Um, and we sort of see angels because we get we do get a scene of him sort of cowering in the in the sunlit outside mm-hmm. cell again, still. Yep. Confessing everything now, confessing to confessing the point of just confessing, like when he accidentally stole a jacket from somebody. Yeah, and like so he, he's clearly jacket. dug way back for all of his crime. He's he's still still confessing, right. still has got stuff to get out. So the question of whether his decision really ended up absolving him of any guilt. It may not have. He uh-huh. doesn't seem yep. to see. He doesn't seem less guilty than before. <laughs> he even seems more pathetic. And now I meet it in a common way, um, right, Than he right. did when he had a chance to get out of jail. So it does seem like for those three characters, we see the negative results of discarding these irreplaceably valuable parts of their life. And then Charlie, we sort of get the reverse. Hmm. Yeah, so so it kind of gives you maybe it is just a perspective uh, for that. It also makes me wonder, you know, does Valdez have any part of that theme? I don't. I I, I can't find anything that he has a part of that theme in. Um. I I I have to imagine that Valdez is is the result of that. That part <laughs> of you know that part of his 
life story before he comes to prison is that at some point along the line, he really screwed up. And and yeah. one of the ways, I, I mean, look, he describes that he used to work for the sanitation department collecting trash. We know that mm-hmm. he no longer does. We don't know why, but we do know that he slapped somebody for <laughs> right. leaving out a plasma screen TV. Yeah. So you might imagine <laughs> that slapping somebody on the job gets you fired. It didn't really go that well, maybe. For yeah. Him. <laughs> and, 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 you know, to be a human being, that is who he is as kind of full of bile and, you know, just malintent for everyone around him as he is. He has to have come from a place uh, where that something in his life did that to him. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's a little bit of talk about that as well. Lucius has a scene about that, and maybe this is a way to kind of transition back to Lucius a little bit. Lucius talks about how even his crimes were a result of things happening to him. Um, he talks about being abused as a, as a kid and getting hooked on drugs as a young adult and how that eventually led him to a state of mental disorder, schizophrenia, paranoia, and that was what ended up making him kill the pizza delivery boy and cut him into pieces. Um, so there, there right. is some... The, the, the play is not as a whole like this huge, this, uh, preachy indictment of the criminal justice system. Right. But no, it no, does no. include some commentary on you know things. And one of the commentaries that Lucius makes is, look, nobody wants to care that I was victimized. They just care that I victimized someone else. And it's sort of part of a longer argument for him about why he's not maybe responsible or <laughs> yeah. was God doesn't hate him for what he did. I don't know. Right, but, right. But that commentary, it's even part of our conversation in today's criminal justice system, right? This question of, uh, you know, we, we see that that crime and violence and hatred are reoccurring. They're, they're not quite genetic, but they're passed down in these systems of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, on two people. And that's something that, you know, Gigas was commenting on in, in the year 2000 when he wrote the play and we're still dealing with in the year 2018 right. and, and beginning to become aware of. What I'm interested in in Lucius Jackson is a question that Angel asks him that he doesn't answer. And the question is, look, Angel says, look, if you're so God-fearing, if you are so right with God, if God's got your back and it's all good, then why are you so scared of going to Florida and having them kill you? Why does that bother you so much? Why are you fighting extradition? If it's God's will, just go. Just die. You're going to heaven, right? You say you're going to heaven. So why are you so scared? And Lucius's response is like, I don't have time for this crap. Right. I and don't never, need to tell you that. And never <laughs> answers. And so what is that? Why, why is he so scared? Well, because death is scary, maybe be the simple answer. All right, if you I mean, want to go the easy route. <laughs> I'll, I'll go a little bit further than that. But that, I mean, that is a classic argument with uh, Christianity is why don't you just go to heaven then and leave the rest of us here? And uh, I think, I think <laughs> maybe the death is scary argument has some weight. Maybe the, I, I think Lucius actually, he says it as well. I think he wants to enact some good in the world still. He says at one point, why can't people just leave me up here? You know, I, I, I will do my time and I will continue trying to do my little bit of good in the world from, from here. But they got to kill a guy just to, you know, finish out their need for vengeance for a crime. And um, I think I think that is kind of what he winds up playing with a little bit is that he wants to he wants to keep 
he wants to keep living. He wants to keep being able to uh, enact his life into the world. And and I think there are a couple different ways he does that. He's certainly uh, he's not just an altruist, right? He's he's manipulative. He wants to you know bring about what he wants out of the world. So I think I think he sees it as as anyone would as an end to that. Right, and and actually, Charlie comments on the same thing that you know this is that nice prison guard that basically gave Lucius everything he wanted. In the end, Charlie says, "Look, if you were to tell me that Lucius was just nice to me and helped me stop drinking so he could get Oreos and shepherd's pie and a little right. extra time in the sun, I don't really have an argument against that. You might be <laughs> right, you know." And and that is true of Lucius. He's manipulative, and I think that that sort of that leads maybe into my core question here, which is: Is Lucius's faith? really just a manipulation or how sincere is it really and that's sort of what angel is asking in that question is mm-hmm. you seem all good with god and you seem like everything's okay but you're still you're still scared of facing the real consequences of your action so how sincere is your faith really and really they actually have a longer conversation about that where uh, yeah. lucius they, they get exchanges like this lucius will say like you gotta get right with god angel and angel will say what are you right with god really are you right with god <laughs> you know they have some back and forth like that where Angel tries to get at that. So what do you think? Is Lucius right with God? Is his faith that sincere? Gosh, yes, I do. I'm going to say yes, I do. Um, however, he still harbors doubt um, about that, as as anyone would, and I think those two can live synonymously. But I think his... his um, his face, his you know, need to put up, put up a front for it doesn't allow those two to exist side by side. I think that's why he dodges the question, um, because he, the the admittance that that there is uh, fear and doubt is is it it shatters the the supports that he's built for himself. This this facade that he's maybe facade is too strong a word, but this this. Um, mm, Pretense is again too too wrong a word, but I'm going to roll on. Pretense that he is secure in this, um, and and he's not willing to even let himself speak toward toward something that would weaken that stance. Right. So that's kind of the the best version of Lucius, right? And that's sort of a it's it's a common framework of Christianity, right? That. For people who are religious, it seems like we sometimes have to pretend we're more certain, more conscious, more whatever than we actually yeah. are. Because to let any sign of doubt or real conflict show to anybody who doesn't understand might be perceived as lack of faith or not being a true, real believer. And, and that's something that really happens. The, the, the reverse could also be true, of course, which is that the— the the faith is not actually that authentic and that right. the the verbiage is just to disguise the fact that Lucius is a quote unquote believer just because that gets him off the hook for what he did, sure. right? And there's a couple moments, I think, which might hint at something like that. The first of which is when he describes his conversion experience. He describes sort of being out in the night one night and feeling like this really good feeling come on over him. And how and he, he equates it to like cocaine and to yeah. like the feeling of like high he had when he was doing violence to people. That for him, you know, this quote-unquote religious experience he had, the only real way that he has to 
give some language to it is this relationship to drugs and violence in his past. <laughs> yeah. And then later on, he says, look, you know, when I was killing those people, I didn't feel like I was doing something bad. If God right. didn't want me to kill him, why did he give me the power to kill these people? I didn't feel right. like I was doing something wrong. It felt right. Yeah. So somehow his faith has become a justification for for not feeling bad about what he did. Right. So there, there's some elements of that too. I might fall on the the more negative side of it than you do, and think that perhaps Lucius has quote unquote come to faith as a way to escape <laughs> the fact that he killed eight people. Hmm. I think I'm going to push you one step further there, and and be be a little less uh, optimistic for this episode. Um, this is a thought that occurred to me, and I was eager to hear what you think. Do you think Angel was Lucius's last murder? <laughs> Whoa, because, that's interesting. And and let me kind of set this up just a little bit. So he, he goes through this whole play and he gets him to stay in prison. He gets him to stay there and he wrecks him. Like in the last scene, Angel is not okay. He's, he's, he's in a cage by himself uh, admitting to crimes that haven't happened in a long time to no one in particular. Um, he he breaks on the stand and begins uh, admitting to all the crime that he had done. He's not in a place that is healthy or safe for him, um, and, and yet he chooses to do it as a result of listening to Lucius. So is is that sort of the same high for Lucius as uh, killing and cutting up these poor people delivery boys like he did in Florida yeah. were. I think that that's a really interesting uh, um, way to explain the question of why Lucius cares so much about Angel's decision, right? The the It's framed as Lucius wanting to convert Angel because he's a soldier of the Lord and mm-hmm. he's got to tell everybody about the Lord. They got to follow Sort of not really follow God's law because he he, he, he at one point Lucius <laughs> right. says where in the Bible does it say not to kill people? It's like <laughs> several times I think. Times? <laughs> the last time I read it, it was in there a few times. <laughs> but it's you know that 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 swaying angel to stay in prison and and not use this way out is sort of framed as a as a way to convert him. But the question is always there: Why is he? so attached to this to this mission and one possible explanation that angel gives is just that lucius is jealous lucius would like a way out too and doesn't right. have one so he's sort of lashing out and trying to take away someone else's but i think your explanation is perhaps more interesting <laughs> and the explanation really is that lucius is still a psychopath right. after all this time <laughs> still a killer Hasn't really left those ways behind. And then you wonder, has he done it before? Your question prompts other questions. Right. Yep. What What else? Did did he do it to Charlie? Did he really Mm -hmm. care about those Oreos and Shepherd's Pie or anything? Or was he just trying to get Charlie fired? How evil is this guy really? And when he comes (laughs) face to face with the most bile-filled, evil person, kind of prison guard you could ever meet he crumples in the face of it so you know is he the sort of evil that's not that that faces off against real evil and then realizes that it you know it's insufficient Mm -hmm. Uh, so i I don't know that's a really i mean all all we can do is speculate and that's a really interesting speculation Mm -hmm. yeah and seeks out the weak too He, he describes the people he's killed are are all weak people um so 
it's uh I, I, that that kind of struck me as and, oh and of no, course the, the, there's this relationship you're saying it and it's sparking all these thoughts the, yeah. there's the relationship of the sunlight too right because he his first the, the reason he kills the first person is that that person left a door open and let the sunlight in and, yeah. and where is his interactions with angel where does he do this quote unquote killing primarily in this sunbathed <laughs> yard <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep it's all connected. Very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. uh, very interesting hypothesis there. So certainly uh, would add some fun subtext to the scenes. Right. I mean, you just have to <laughs> as do, decide as an actor how evil is Lucius, because right. uh, that that character has so much uh, uh, gray area where you have to decide how authentic, how real he really is, and that this is one of those places where you know, analyzing scripts just runs up against an actor's choice. We can Mm -hmm. make our own choices for the reading of a script like you would with a novel or like anything else. But at some point scripts get performed and then it's an, and then it's in an actor's hand to decide what they're going to do with the character. Yeah. And how to present it well or, or, or present the director's vision or, yeah. yeah. While we're on the subject, um, uh, we have been talking about religion. We've we've sort of moved off, but I'm going to come back because um, yeah, yeah. the play as a whole has a lot to say about religion. And one of the interesting characters in that conflict is Angel. He's got so much going on between his trial and stuff that sometimes the religious conflicts get overwhelmed. But he's got some religion in him, even though he claims in the, his arguments with Lucius that, you know, I'm really not the guy you want to talk about faith to. I don't want to hear it. It's kind of all baloney. Right. But the first scene of the play is Angel trying to pray the Lord's Prayer in the middle of this mass lockup, and mm-hmm. people are screaming at him to shut the F up. And yep. there's probably north of 30 different instances of people saying variations on the F word in that oh, scene. Yeah. Yep. So it's a, it's a bold start to the play uh-huh. in terms of its uh, language count. Um, but that, that, but he's got that, and Lucius describes how he can hear him from the next cell over praying, kind of whimpering prayers all the time, and he he has language to describe religion too. One of the things that I noticed is that at one point Angel says, uh, as a as a rebuttal to Lucius, something about how oh you've got all this and that, and you've got you're telling me about the kingdom of heaven, and I look back and Lucius hadn't used that phrase yet. So the phrase mm. kingdom of heaven is a phrase that would be known by religious people. And so Angel must have some of that in his background, yeah? Oh yeah, I think I think definitely he's he begins praying uh a Hail Mary at one point too, right? Uh that's the prayer that Lucius ends up overhearing overhearing him. And I think he's he, I I think you're absolutely right. He must have some sort of religious background enough to at least know some of the words, but he's absolutely carrying the baggage of his friend was sucked into a Christian religion cult. So he's he's not open to it. Um, I mean, he's 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 he is in in need of help, and so he turns to you know w- what he thinks might help in that mo- in that moment and tries to pray. But I think outwardly he's very against it, and and that I think that stems from his friend Joey getting kidnapped, basically, from the, from from this from this cult. Right, absolutely. And then Mary Jane, who we all already described, is really adamantly against religion. So they kind of come on this spectrum of Lucius being, at face value, a soldier of God and a proponent mm-hmm. of this particular religious outlook. Angel being sort of on the fence, unsure what to think about it all. And Mary Jane being adamantly against it. 
Right. And again, we have that, you know, angels on the shoulder pulling in different directions, the dichotomy of those two characters. And of course, the what's a, I mean, angel's name is Angel. That's a right. religious image in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And we, we've said angels so much because of his name, but also this image of the angels on the shoulders, too. You got to wonder if there was some intention behind that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All the symbolism. Well, I'm going to do the wrap-up this time. I'm seeing our time clock. I can't believe it. I'm like, wow, we've, we've, we've hit right at an hour. And I do have I – wa- I, I, I've said before in various episodes how much of a title snob I am. And I, I do – I want to give Mr. Girgis praise because he is one of the most adept titlers, yes. uh, I think, in literature – Overall, Jesus Hopped the A-Train is an A-plus title. <laughs> He's got another play called In Arabia, We'd All Be Kings. Mm-hmm. A-plus title. He's got another yeah. play called The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. A-plus <laughs> title. He's got another play called The Motherfucker with the Hat. A-double-plus. Pl- a, a A-double-plus. That play has an amazing title. I love the way that he titles plays. It's so evocative mm-hmm. and and enticing and descriptive of the plays at the same time. His Pulitzer Prize winning script between Riverside and Crazy, I think that that's kind of a lame title, and I wish he had <laughs> I wish he'd done a little bit of a better job on that one. <laughs> Not going to lie. Yeah, so I'm, I have a little bit of a hesitancy. Uh, I have read the play, and it's obviously a fantastic play, but I don't love the title. But most of the rest of his titles, I think, are A+. plus. T- they're just so mm-hmm. interesting. He's got intrigue nailed down, both in both in title but also in characters. The first like 15 pages of the script, you're very intrigued by everyone. So, right. And, and so they, what's the connect? I mean, we already described where the title comes up in the script, Jackson. But do you have any final thoughts about the metaphor of Jesus hopping the A train actually being the title of the whole darn thing? I think I think it's it, it ties back to that choice of what you're throwing away irrevocably. This train is moving. Uh, it's it, it's coming towards you. And what are you going to do? Are you going to stand there and let it hit you? Or are you going to get out of the way? You're going to trust into something else to get you out of the way. And any of those choices bear irrevocable uh, consequences that you won't be able to turn back on. Right. I think I love the, that phrasing, too. And I also think, you know, when Mary Jane claims to be Jesus hopping the A-train to save him, I think there's some connection, too, of this push and pull between Lucius and Mary Jane. You know, which which Jesus is going to be the one that you're going to get knocked off the tracks by? Which way are you going to go? Because Angel describes in this story of being on the tracks how he was sort of paralyzed mm-hmm. and they couldn't figure out how to get off the train tracks. And that's sort of where he is, it is in his life, paralyzed. You know, which way is he going to go? He can't go anywhere. Like you said, the train's coming. So who's going to knock him off the tracks? Who's going to be the Jesus hopping the A train in this scenario? Well, if any of you have any more thoughts uh, that you want to add to the conversation, uh, we'd, we'd love to continue it with you on all of our social media accounts or in person if you know us. If you don't know us, don't continue it in person. Just do the social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, yeah, and Twitter. Don't, don't stalk us. <laughs> yeah, that'd be I, nice. I, if, if you're a stranger, don't come find us. We've mentioned <laughs> what states we live in many times. Don't. Don't go back and look for that information. I'd love to interact with you via email or social media, but don't come find me. <laughs> but if find- I do know you, come find me. It's cool. Right. But find us online at No Script Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or Gmail, No Script Podcast at gmail.com. 
If you liked this podcast, you can share the episode, share some of our other episodes. That is hugely helpful to us. At this point in our podcasting career, at this stage of the podcast, you are our best marketers. If you can invite other people to join this conversation, join the No Script family, we will have more listeners. That's how it works right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have the budget for, you know, big sort of advertising schemes to get that out there because we're just two guys talking about scripts right now. So (laughs) you are the people who will invite other people into the family. So please, if you would share this episode or share other episodes, either just generically on your social media platforms or even better, probably with people you think like scripts and would be interested, um, that that would really help us out. You, You can access the podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, and then the podcast itself is hosted on Podbean, which is a podcasting app that you can access it through as well. Yes, thank you all for the shares and the likes, and thank you to all the patrons who are over on Patreon.com. If you want to help support the show, you can head over to Patreon.com. We've got three levels of subscription or support at this time, and uh, you can check them all out over there. We have a tier for as little as $1 a month if you want to be a part of of helping this show uh, stick around for a little while longer and keep hearing these conversations. So thank you all, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll be coming back uh, with another script next week. Yeah, and so... One week from today, it's always on Mondays. Monday, we will Monday. have a new script for you on no script. A new script on no script. <laughs> Such we should start saying that. That's a good <laughs> yeah, yeah. That should be our sign off. Come let's... back next week for a new <laughs> script on no script. <laughs> Until then, I'm Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening. See ya.